BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. It is Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. And the Democrats are in crisis and distress. We even made a cool snazzy graphic there. All I really need to do at this point is have some parchment scroll and a British accent, and I could list for you every single reason why Democrats, and far more importantly, America, is in crisis. So let's start at the top, shall we? Uh, Let's be honest here. We have a president of the United States that uh, you have to wonder whether or not he even knows that he's actually president of the United States. Uh, that, that's number one. Uh, and then you go on from there because that's not a joke. I mean, is Joe, Joe Biden truly running the country? Half the time it appears that mentally, mentally and physically he's not quite sure where he is. It's actually sad to watch. So that's a crisis. Then there's immigration. Just today, the Biden administration's Secretary of Homeland Security stated that America is on pace to see more individuals on the southwest border than we have, is, have seen in the last 20 years. This is a crisis that Democrats made. You know, they said, come in, and that's exactly what happened. And look, don't believe liberals in the media, one and the same, by the way, who are now going to reinvent history and say this immigration crisis is all Trump's fault. Look, in their eyes, everything's Trump's fault. Remember how they blamed him for global warming? I mean, what's next, for example? Was he responsible for the chaos inside the royal family in England? Is he responsible for sabotaging the rollout of the disastrous European vaccine? Give me a break, folks. Americans aren't stupid. And by the way, even if liberals uh, buy what Democrats are selling, independent voters are not jiving at all with that. Folks, Democrats aren't just going through a crisis at the top or on policy. This is widespread across America. Look, on the East Coast, you've got Andrew Cuomo. He's not going to resign, so Democrats may be forced to impeach him. And while they're at it, by the way, they should impeach that blanket that he was with the other day, too. This is called a crisis. If you don't believe me, just ask the family members of his nursing home scandal victims. Uh, This whole Cuomo situation is a moral crisis for Democrats. First of all, Biden hasn't called for his resignation. Kamala Harris is out to lunch with her absolute silence. And the hashtag MeToo movement has either been dragged kicking and screaming on this or they've been silent as well. But you know who hasn't been silent? The people of California. There's a crisis out there, too, on the left coast. Enter Governor Gavin Newsom. The only thing he has going for him right now is his great hair. And by the way, that's not a good sign when your hair is your biggest positive. He's on the verge of a recall election because of his absolute disastrous dictator-like COVID policies in California. Democrats cannot spin themselves out of any of this. They did this to themselves. Of course, if you listen to the so-called mainstream media you're going to hear fawning story after fawning story about how Biden achieved this great victory with the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan. Of course, a closer look has has conservatives thinking it's more like an American refuse plan with the amount of garbage tax hikes hikes and welfare state policies inside. And that is another crisis that's about to unfold. And by the way, one last thing. How about Nancy Pelosi? Talk about a crisis. She may be Speaker of the House now. But as they say in Titanic, iceberg right ahead. There's a very good chance 
that Republicans will be back in the majority in 2022, and Nancy may end up retiring, I don't know, back to San Fran. Maybe she can sit on a board of education somewhere. She renames school after school to be politically correct, and I'm sorry about that, Abe Lincoln. So Democrats have a leadership crisis, they've got a policy crisis, they've got a moral crisis, and a political crisis. It all leads to distress, and honestly, at this point, Democrats are making the Real Housewives of New Jersey look normal. All right, I want to bring in my first guest, back with us, the uh, don't-mess-with-me lawmaker from Georgia, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Congresswoman, always great to see you. Good to see you too, David. And I was listening to this intro, thinking to myself, you know, all the newness and the the shiny and the pretty has worn off for the Democrats, and now they're actually having to run the show. And boy, are they burning our country down. And I think they're realizing this is really not as easy as we made it sound. Um, and also, I think the media is starting to pay attention. You know, Joe Biden hasn't had one single press conference, but he's bombed Syria and ripped our border open and is allowing thousands of people to invade our country every single day that are bringing in COVID-19 at over 10%. He's packing in stadiums and convention centers with um, immigrant or illegal alien children and separating them from their parents, keeping them in cages and very badly mistreating them. So the Democrats are definitely finding out that, you know, governing isn't just complaining and picking on President Trump and and falling apart over Trump's tweets. It's actually a real job and they're failing miserably. Yeah. And they're always their biggest enemy. They always want to overreach and do all of that. What's your biggest concern on immigration specifically? You have uh, a bill out there, the Protect America First Act. But what's your biggest concern as to the way the Democrats are handling this? There's so much to, to go through what's happening at the border. Well, I think it's hard to pick a big concern. That's why I wrote a comprehensive border security bill. Uh, It's so comprehensive, it, it covers every single area defunding sanctuary cities, that must be done. It's it's a treasonous act to harbor, uh, uh, give aid and comfort to people who broke into our country, who you could call enemies of our country. Um, We're also talking about a four-year moratorium on immigration. This, This system is so broken. We need four years, which is the entire Biden presidency, to put a halt to all entrants into our country and straighten out this system. Uh, My bill proudly funds $22 billion, which is how much money President Trump asked the Republican-controlled House, Republican-controlled Senate in 2017 to fund to build the border wall. We need that $22 billion not only to build it, but to finish building it and completely secure our southern border. Um, That wall would be named the President Donald J. Trump border wall uh, through my bill. Uh, There's many things that need to be done, but we really need strong borders. Uh, We are not a nation without borders. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I hope you have uh, provided money for smelling salts for Democrats when they get a load of the Donald J. Trump wall uh, so they can be revived from the floor when they hear that, uh, by the way. Uh, You mentioned the treasonous, uh, uh, it's a treasonous act. I just want to understand, so you're referring to people that are coming across the border or the politicians that are allowing this to happen? The politicians, the politicians that want to use Americans' hard-earned tax dollars to harbor, give aid and comfort to people who break our laws, uh, break into our country. It'd be like protecting someone that breaks in your house and steals from you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So these these are serious issues and it's time to talk about them in a serious manner. And Democrats, you know, they they might be offended at at the border wall, 
being called the President Donald J. Trump border wall, but they don't believe in border walls, so they, they don't need to have anything to do with it. We're, we'd be happy to build it, uh, secure it, and, and, and do the job for the American people that the Democrats fail to do. The only walls they care about are fences and razor wire that they, they put up around the Capitol and, and sadly use our National Guard for uh, nothing but political theater and drama. I've got to ask you, you talked about uh, on Twitter, you have this hashtag impeach Biden. I see you put that up quite a bit. What do you mean by that specifically? Obviously, from a technical standpoint, uh, Democrats control the House. So obviously, that's not happening. However, there's something there's a message you're trying to send with that. What is that message specifically when you say hashtag impeach Biden? Well, I introduced articles of impeachment on Joe Biden early on when I entered Congress back in January. And the reason why I did so is Joe Biden is on record for abusing his office and abusing the positions that he holds, which are very powerful. Um, it's an abuse of power. And so we know that he's done these things. He withheld uh, money from Ukraine. He's on record saying that on video, admitting it himself, just to get a certain prosecutor fired that was coming after his son, Hunter. Uh, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and his brother, James Biden, are, we all know that they had big plans and, and may still have big plans with business in China having to do with energy companies at the same time while while Biden's policies kill American oil and coal energy companies, uh, but they'd rather make money on the side over foreign countries' energy companies. So Joe Biden, uh, he, he is on record for abusing his power uh, just to get his family rich and also enrich himself. He, so he's a danger to America. Um, we also should impeach Joe Biden for the danger to America that he is causing at the southern border. He is rapidly, rapidly inviting thousands and tens of thousands mm -hmm. to enter our country. And he is doing nothing but helping the cartels and the coyotes get rich every single day on this process. Congresswoman, as, as we wrap up, uh, you know, we're called the water cooler for a reason. You know, what's happening at the water cooler? What are people talking about? And people are talking a lot about Joe Biden uh, being kind of out to lunch, mental health. I mean, it's sad, actually. But my, my question is, who do you think is running the government? I mean, it does seem like Joe Biden uh, is not there mentally and physically at times. We've seen many examples of that. Who, who do you think is running the government? Is Biden running the government? Well, I think we have the Obama administration right back in there. We're seeing the same figures, the same people and the same names and the same pattern uh, that, that failed our country for eight years and now it's all back in place. Uh, it's time to get rid of all of the failure in government. We need to start over. This old playbook is doing nothing for, for our country. You see this as a kind of a spiritual warfare situation. You know, uh, there's a lot of people that are concerned about the morals and spiritual state of our country right now. Absolutely. Uh, you've got the Democrats attacking God, God's creation on day one. Uh, they completely erased gender. They refuse to even acknowledge that God created male and female and that there are, are only two genders. When you have a political party that attacks God's creation in such a horrible way, um, then yes, it's clearly a party of evil. And, and it's, this is what it's all about. It really is a true spiritual war. Marjorie Taylor Greene, always great to see you. Thanks for the insight. Uh, good luck there up on Capitol Hill. Stay, try, try to stay out of the swamp. You're in the swamp, but, you know, good luck on that. Thank you, David. Uh, it, it, 
I wash it right off. So that's the good news. Sounds good. All right. Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Calgon bath at night every day in the swamp. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, when we come back, Ken Cuccinelli will be here. Hey, he's got a few things to say about immigration. He was the former uh, acting deputy uh, secretary at DHS in the Trump administration. And, and he's now at the Heritage Foundation talking quite a bit about this and a few other topics. Uh, we'll come back and talk to him about the major crisis at the border. And yes, it's a crisis. Hello. Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, we are glad to have Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene on in the first block, and we move on uh, to a similar topic as it relates to immigration. Uh, I, we're joined now by Ken Cuccinelli, uh, Heritage Foundation uh, visiting fellow, also the former acting deputy secretary over at DHS under the Trump administration. Ken, always great to see you, sir. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, I don't even know where to begin on immigration. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, if I if I said what's going, what's happening, what's the problem? You could probably go, uh, you know, forty five minutes. But what what's the right. main issue with the Biden administration right now in terms of what they're not getting right? What do they need to get right to fix this crisis? By the way, I'm sure you've heard. Oh, apparently, it's not a crisis. It's just a situation to them. Well, first of all, uh, of course, it is a crisis, even by their own former definitions. And um, it's easy to tear down. It is hard to build. And their policy has been one of literally tearing down all of the elements that we built over a number of years to manage and control the flow of illegal immigration. And what that tells you is they don't want to control the flow of illegal immigration. They want the influx. What we all look at this as a crisis, to put it the way some people sometimes talk, what you and I view as a bug, they view as a feature. They want hundreds of thousands of illegals to come in. It is not a coincidence they're doing this at the same time as an amnesty bill and an election bill that would automatically register many of these people to vote. So all of those are connected strategically um, but they're stuck with the messaging problem, and that's all they view it as on the southern border, despite the fact that it's a humanitarian crisis. Yeah, and I want to get to the voting issue in a moment because it kind of ties in into it. Agree with HR one yeah. in terms of the big umbrella issue here. Uh, I, I want to read you something that the uh, the DHS secretary uh, put up, Mayorkas, uh, Secretary Mayorkas put up today. This is what he said: We are on a pace to encounter more individuals on the southwest border than uh, we have in the last 20 years. We are expelling most single adults and families. We are not expelling unaccompanied children. We are securing our border, executing the Centers for Disease Control and Preventions, the CDC, public health authority to safeguard the American public and the migrants themselves and protecting the children. We have more work to do. Uh, that CDC stuff, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm curious to get your a take on it, but the CDC, yeah, you know, I mean, what's, wait a minute, hold on. I, I'm missing something there. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah. So, I mean, we could go line by line. Yeah. Uh, they are not expelling most families. They are expelling some families, but not most. Uh, they are not uh, the double negative. They are not, not expelling unaccompanied children. They are expelling unaccompanied Mexican children. Um, that policy has remained in place. 
and they are treated legally differently under the 2008 law that governs all of that, which has caused so many problems and created a, the tactic of shoving non-Mexican children over the border. Um, and, you know, so again, one thing after another, he says in there, is either misleading or completely untrue. And that doesn't help matters when you're trying to deal with the problem. So here you've put it up again. You mentioned the CDC, Public Health Authority. They are using the still ongoing public health order on the border, but not nearly like we were and it, like it's capable of being used. We were expelling 85, 90 plus percent of illegal crossers in under two hours, David, under two hours without bringing them into the Border Patrol's facilities. It was a logistical, uh, it was a spectacular performance on a logistical level. They have abandoned that um, with all sorts of consequences. They aren't showing us pictures, of course, of mm -hmm. the facilities themselves. Can you imagine if we didn't let the media have pictures right. of our facilities for weeks and months? They'd go berserk. And But now it's in a COVID environment where they're overcrowded and under-equipped. They have more children than they have ever had before. Mm -hmm. And we had it tough in that space last May. And they've blown by that as far as the children go. Yeah. It's a terrible situation. Let me ask you a, qu a question about ICE. Uh, arrests are down 60% or so. That's the latest statistic. Yep. ICE is, uh, so, so what, what do you make of that? What's the, what's the reason behind that? Is this part of this whole idea of, oh, they're humane and compassionate? Or what, what's going on here exactly? It's well, a total 180. Sales. It's a total 180. Yeah, their, their sales pitch is they're humane and compassionate. But the, to them, humane and compassionate simply means not deporting. But mm -hmm. they're not deporting violent criminals. They're not deporting illegals they encounter. Uh, if you recall the, the new prioritization they put in place, there are so few people in their tier one of priorities, which are terrorists, convicted murderers, convicted rapists. That's it. Now, of course, those are all bad people. We want to get rid of them. But why are you limiting yourself to that? What about drunk drivers that kill more people every year than most any other crime? Right. What about people who are accused and convicted in, of, of child abuse, of domestic violence, which is a, a significant problem. And, and they're keeping all of those. They've turned America into a sanctuary country. Mm. And when you don't deport anyone and you let them know that you're not going to deport them, yep. more people come, which is exactly what we told them would happen. This was not only predictable, it was predicted. We told it to them in transition. Yep. And yet they plowed ahead just ripped apart all of the pieces that were in place to slow and stop illegal immigration. And now they blame the prior administration for their own destruction. Yeah, no brainer, obviously, uh, uh, on, on all of that. Last uh, question, about 30 or 45 seconds the most here, Ken. Uh, the the voting, voting seems to be really at the heart of all of this. Uh, elections, power. Right. Uh, talk to me about how this and HR1, we've talked a lot about HR1 in, in the past on the show, but it all just seems to roll together. I mean, this, this is the it end does. game here, right? That's, that's the ball game there. Yeah, and there are two amnesty bills they have up. One is an agricultural amnesty bill mm -hmm. for those workers. One is broader than just that. And so, you you know, the idea is they view these as, as future voters in their favor. And if they let them in illegally, maybe that will be true out of gratitude. But the H.R. 1 also automatically registers people who use state um, agencies. And so a lot of these people are going to be captured in those registrations. 
and they are not penalized for voting if they were captured in those automatic registrations. Um, they presume that it wasn't intentional and they allow by federal law you know, that their statement saying I didn't mean to yeah. is enough. And that's it. Yeah. So you put all the dots together. Yeah, 100%, which you've done uh, today nicely for us. Ken Cuccinelli, really appreciate your time. Love to get you back on the show soon. Thanks for the, thanks for the uh, information. Good stuff. All right, uh, Ken Cuccinelli here on The Water Cooler. When we come back, the Vatican, the Pope, well, I guess the Vatican, the Pope, <laughs> and same-sex marriage, iceberg right ahead. Back in VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, time for the latest from the Vatican. Now let's uh, check in with the Pope. Just kidding. Uh, we don't have the Pope. Hey, Madison, can we work on that? By the way, can we get that? Uh, we have the Pope? No, we don't have the Pope. The, yeah, the Pope on Skype. Now that would be an exclusive. Uh, instead, the Vatican making uh, different headlines. Let's take a look at that. Oh, on cue. Oh, Just the News. I've heard of that site, justthenews.com. Vatican says Catholic Church, its priests cannot bless same-sex unions. And, of course, they say, be, they say that because they can't bless sin. Uh, of course, uh, or excuse me, God cannot bless sin is what they say. That's the exact quote from the Vatican. And of course, uh, of course, God uh, cannot bless sin. However, he can forgive sin. Uh, so, uh, you know, let's uh, open up our Bibles now to page. No, just kidding. We'll do that some other time, shall we? Uh, let's go to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Executive Director and Washington Bureau Chief at EWTN uh, News. Dr. Bunsen, always great to see you. Good to be with you. Well, kind of give us a, a sense of uh, the shockwaves of this story, because obviously to conservative, I mean, to conservative Catholics, I would think this is obviously uh, encouraging, uh, maybe a bit surprising uh, to, to folks that have followed Pope Francis for a while. What's, what's your sense on this? Well, you're exactly right about something important, and that is uh, the way this has been received. And in point of fact, uh, what uh, this document says, which is from the what's called the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is the Vatican Department that's charged with the responsibility of sort of safeguarding the teachings of the church. That's always been its function. Uh, with Pope Francis's approval, we have to note, issued this statement. And uh, essentially, all it does is restate the teachings of the church. And we now live in an age or an era in which simply restating uh, what has been taught by the church from the very beginning uh, is suddenly very controversial. I think part of it is because there is so much opposition to that. But the second part is that you're right. A lot of people uh, have this idea that Pope Francis is open to anything. And Pope Francis has actually been very solid, very clear from even before he was elected pope on same-sex uh, marriage. Uh, on these very issues that the, the Doctrine of the Faith uh, Congregation has just issued this decree for. And we should make the distinction between blessing same-sex marriage, which the Vatican is against, uh, at the same time uh, welcoming and trying to uh, be a support for those that are uh, homosexual, uh, lesbian, LGBT, if you will. I mean, there's a distinction about how, how we're supposed to uh, treat uh, our fellow man. That's right. And the document, uh, which has been, of course, savaged by a lot of people in, in the secular media and in, in some special interest groups and others and some progressive groups even within the church, makes that very crucial distinction between the person or persons involved uh, and uh, the unions that are involved. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church is uh, absolutely clear 
uh, that homosexual persons, uh, those with homosexual orientation, must receive uh, a welcome in the church uh, that is, of course, appropriate and that the church opposes every form of unjust discrimination. That is separate uh, from the issue that's really being dealt with in this document, uh, and that is whether or not uh, the church has the power or the authority to bless uh, same-sex unions. And uh, the, the document itself is actually what's referred to as a dubium, uh, which means it's a question uh, that was sent to the Vatican. And the question was, does the church have the authority to do this? And the, the simple answer was negative, negativo. Uh, and then you have attached to that a number of statements and documents sort of clarifying why that's the case. And that's where we get into the various reasons why unions cannot be blessed in this way. Man, this puts Joe Biden in an interesting uh, predicament. I mean, we, we know he's had, uh, he, he's not on board as it relates to public policy on abortion uh, with the Catholic Church. And of course, uh, now on same-sex marriage, uh, it, it seems like he's off the reservation on both of those issues. And that's something very hard for him. I would, well, he, he thinks he can comport the two. I've never really understood how you could be personally pro-life, as he says, uh, but from a policy standpoint, uh, pro-choice. Well, you're right. Uh, Joe Biden uh, has uh, long campaigned uh, on a very aggressive pro-abortion agenda. Uh, lost in some of the conversation is the fact that he's also been campaigning and has been a promoter of a very aggressive uh, gender ideology agenda as well. Uh, he was one of the first of the uh, major public officials in the United States, we go back to his time as vice president, uh, in supporting things like same-sex marriage. Uh, it was uh, his promotion of it, I think, in the White House that ultimately led directly right. uh, to the Supreme Court decision of Obergefell uh, that we're now dealing with as a country. And that has led uh, to where we are even now with uh, the recent decision of the Supreme Court on Bostock, uh, which also opened the door for transgender ideology. And of course, the, the, the president now, as you say, he's the second Catholic president, uh, is also in support of things like the Equality Act that would advance that agenda even further. So you're absolutely correct. Uh, it isn't simply on abortion, as preeminent as that is, as the U.S. bishops have stressed. Uh, but he is uh, in open defiance of church teaching on a number of issues. So that, that leads me to this question as we wrap up here. I mean, do, would you consider him a Catholic? He considers himself a Catholic, uh, but he's going against Catholic teaching on two crucial issues. So where does that leave all of that? Well, I think uh, uh, we are forced, as we have uh, throughout um, much of his career, as he has, uh, as he likes to say, his position on abortion has evolved uh, with the simple reality that the, the first and third most powerful political figures in the United States, uh, that would be President Joe Biden and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, are both uh, very openly, demonstrably self-professed Catholics. Uh, who nevertheless hold positions that are very contrary to the teachings of the church on several key issues, abortion and uh, gender ideology being two of those. Uh, so this is uh, going to become a major issue as this administration progresses. It has been for a number of years with Nancy Pelosi. And here's where I think a, a statement like this from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith is so important uh, because there can be so much confusion uh, even among faithful Catholics, as to what the church actually teaches and believes. This isn't something that the church simply makes up. Uh, as the document itself says, this is a, a teaching that we hold dear, uh, that uh, we also interpret, but also have to witness in our lives. And I think that's one of the calls that a lot of bishops are starting to make uh, for Catholics in political life, uh, to live the faith uh, that they profess.
Hmm. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, uh, fascinating insight. Really appreciate uh, your time, the executive editor and Washington Bureau Chief of EWTN News. Uh, Dr. Bunsen, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. All right, great uh, conversation. I say conversation, I just asked the questions. Uh, and he provided very insightful answers. And, and by the way, this kind of goes to a larger narrative out there, right? Between liberals and the social justice Christians, you hear about them a lot. Actually, you hear about the evangelicals a lot, the conservative evangelicals that back Trump. But those liberal social justice Christians, we've had Dr. Jim Wallace, or Jim, Reverend, excuse me, Jim Wallace on before, who preaches that type of gospel. Inside that gospel is a pro-choice narrative, some would say pro-abortion, obviously, and also same-sex marriage. But let's remember, that's not the gospel that's in the Bible. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ, not about social justice programs. Back in a moment. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, when we think about elections, we, of course, think of here in America and all of the... Uh, uh, potential mischief that was going on. Some will say it's not just potential mischief. It was real. It was, it was the real deal. Anyhow, we've done tons of stories about it and we'll continue to do so. Uh, but over in Israel, they have elections coming up. My goodness, it's, I feel like they're always having an election now. Obviously, everything going on with Benjamin Netanyahu over there. Uh, let's bring in Joel Rosenberg, a New York Times bestselling author of the Beirut Protocol, uh, also editor-in-chief of All Israel News. Uh, Joel from Israel, great to see you. Shalom. Shalom. Great to be with you as well, David. Talk to me about the latest Israeli election. How many of these, I mean, my goodness, how many have we had in the last year and a half or so? I've been a citizen of Israel for seven, uh, seven years and I've done 42 elections. No, that's not, that's <laughs> fake news. That's fake news. But I, I, uh, I think this is the fifth that, since we've been here. And um, so here's where we are. Look, we're the only real democracy in the Middle East, and we apparently love elections so much, we just keep having them over and over. <laughs> the main issue in this election, and the reason we've had four uh, rounds in, in two years, is because Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, is slipping. He cannot seem to form a stable government, and his, his support is eroding. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is in the most serious danger politically today than he has been since 1999 when he lost his first re-election as prime minister. Why is that, Joel? What's going on specifically? I mean, is it the corruption that just kind of hangs around him? Is it more than just that, obviously? Well, there are a number of factors. And, and, and for an American audience, you'd think that Netanyahu would be winning in a landslide, right? right. He, he's, he persuaded President Trump to uh, move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, to declare Jerusalem the, the official, you know, the capital of, of Israel, uh, to uh, uh, make, uh, to recognize Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, to sell us F-35 stealth fighter jets, to help broker, you know, four Arab-Israeli peace treaties in which Netanyahu was heavily involved. So this is Nobel Prize territory. It's true. But at the same time, oh, and of course, the maximum pressure campaign against Iran and withdraw, the U.S. withdrawing from the, the insane Iran nuclear deal, which Netanyahu helped persuade Net, uh, to Trump to do. 
This is all on the good ledger. But the other side, Israelis are seeing, which is that Netanyahu has really handled uh, the COVID uh, situation dismally here. That's how people perceive him. Now, of late, uh, Netanyahu's done a great job at getting vaccines uh, into Israel. And 90%, almost 90% of Israelis who are eligible and who want to get the vaccine uh, are now vaccinated. That's pretty impressive. And we're seeing our death rates and infection rates drop. But yeah. he has badly handled the economy. He hasn't passed a budget in a year, um, choosing to go to elections instead of uh, signing a budget. Mm -hmm. um, and he, uh, aside from the fact that unemployment is soar has been soaring and that 70,000 businesses have gone out of business, that's, these are real problems and people are angry. Yeah. And, it, and of course it comes down to his, uh, his plate. But there's one other element, mm -hmm. and that is the left wing, of course, hates him here. But more and more right wing and center right leaders are saying enough. They've sort of had it with him. Yes, there's the corruption cases, but it's more his style of management. And they're saying more and more of them are saying we will never serve in a government with you, Mr. Netanyahu. That's narrowing his path, yeah. even though Netanyahu's Likud party will be the largest faction after March 23rd's election. Joel, let me uh, ask you a kind of a two-part question. I want you to, I want to get your take on what's happening in Israel regarding vaccines and these green cards that we've been hearing so much about, uh, how, how that's playing exactly. And also these U.S. lawmakers, uh, specifically 13 of them, including Rashida Tlaib and other progressives, uh, calling on uh, Biden to change his approach towards Israel and the Palestinians. They, in essence, it's kind of a long story, but the bottom line is uh, they want Israel to step up and vaccinate all of the Palestinians in the West Bank, uh, they say it's Geneva Convention. Uh, basically, it's the Geneva Convention that they need to follow. Of course, my understanding is, shouldn't it be the Palestinian Authority, the government specifically, that vaccinates their own people? How does that work? What do you know about yeah. that? It, it has nothing to do with the Geneva Convention. Right. It's entirely based on the Oslo Accords, which created legally the structure of the Palestinian Authority. This was the only agreement that Israel has ever had formally with the Palestinian leadership. And this creates a Palestinian health authority. It gives the Palestinian government, uh, though it's not a sovereign state yet, but it still is the active uh, controller of the day-to-day -day affairs of the Palestinian people. And under that agreement, it's the Palestinian authority that's responsible for all of the health care of Israel, now, I mean, of the Palestinians. Now, to be sure, Israel is vaccinating Palestinians who have permits to come work inside Israel. Right. Israel's been very quick to help, uh, but the Palestinians uh, really are responsible and they have the money. Uh, you know, they're spending $300 million a year to pay the families of terrorists in what's known as pay for slay. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you kill more Israeli Jews, you get more money as a family of the, of the, of the, of the murderer. Yeah. And, and the U.S. law says that, that that is wrong, which of course it is, and that the Palestinians should use that money for their own health care and their own day-to-day -day issues. So this is yeah. a this is a um, a red herring by uh, um, by the, the, yeah. the far left wing in Congress. Uh, so let me just follow up real quick, about 45 seconds or so. I know you can go a lot longer, but these green cards, they seem to be controversial, at least here in America, about, oh, no, is this coming to America? What, what's the take in Israel about these green cards? I mean, you, you, in essence, if you're not vaccinated, it's my understanding that you will be restricted to go certain places, to whether it be outdoor venues or certain, certain areas. 
Well, we did do a story on this. Uh, we've done many stories, but this particular one that you're showing now on All Israel News, the short version is that Israel has not required people to get the vaccination. 90% almost have said we want to get the vaccination. But what Israel is saying is you can either be vaccinated or get testing every few days. Mm -hmm. The challenge is they're not really setting up thousands of testing centers at pharmacies and grocery stores where you could easily get tested. And there will be restrictions, you know, because of the health challenge here, more Israelis have died of COVID than of the last 20 years of war and terror here. So it is a real issue right. um, and it's, and there are some civil liberty issues involved. Joel Rosenberg, always great to see you. Uh, really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, you don't have to say this because we'll say it. You are the New York Times bestselling author of the Beirut Protocol. Uh, get it wherever books are sold, I'm assuming. Amazon and every other place in the world. Indeed. There, Thank you so much. There it is. The Beirut Protocol. Uh, I tell you what, getting rave reviews, which is not a surprise at all. Uh, did I tell you he's a New York Times bestselling author? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I not bury the leader? Uh, all right. When we come back, the last sip. <laughs> Got a few things to talk about regarding the media. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. That was very aggressive, by the way. Uh, time for the last. Oh, my goodness. Last sip. Did you see that? There was water flying everywhere. It's fine, just a mechanical error on my part. All right, uh, time for the poll of the day. Shall we do that? Let's do it. The water cooler poll of the day. I love this segment of the show. I live for it. I breathe every day just to do that. All right, anyhow. News reports have highlighted several recent gaffes President Biden has made during public appearances. Which best describes your opinion on the issue? 47% of people say, look, I believe Biden is fine, he's fit for office, and the gaffes really don't concern me. 40% say, I'm concerned President Biden is suffering from some sort of condition that contributes to the gaffes. And 14% are not sure. Apparently, they don't watch television. They're uh, not looking on YouTube for clips and all that stuff, so they, they don't know. Anyhow, there you go, 47%, 40%. Kind of surprised at those numbers, by the way, but uh, that provides some... Uh, analysis. And I don't have time for that because we have another story to do. Let's put up this headline. How about this? Donald Trump right again, by the way. Trump calls the original Washington Post article a hoax after the paper issues a major correction. This is about that phone call. Remember with the Secretary of State down in Georgia and uh, the, the Washington Post and so many other folks said that uh, Trump had said he wanted uh, this investigator to find fraud Find the fraud, find the fraud. Oh, guess what? Well, now we find out two months later, won't, won't, give me a freaking break, that he never said find the fraud. He said there's some dishonesty out there. That's all he said. So they had the quote totally wrong. And by the way, uh, let me just tell you, this comes, uh, the only reason we know about this is because the recording of the call was actually part of a uh, public records request submitted by the Wall Street Journal. And it turns out, you know where they found the recording of the call? In the trash folder of the person that Donald Trump was talking to, uh, the detective there, uh, Watson, which is interesting, the detective and Watson in the same sentence. Anyhow, the point is the story was bogus all along. Not surprising. And by the way, let me just say a, a couple things here uh, when it comes to the media. Uh, enough with the anonymous sources, right? Okay, so if it's a big story like that was at the time, you got to identify the person. And if they're not going to be identified, then I'm sorry. Don't run the story. It's just that simple. And by the way, let me also just say that uh, 
this was not a national security issue. I can understand where you have to keep people anonymous at times based on national security uh, threats. That wasn't this. Media, come on. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. It's the uh, end of the show. And guess what? Uh, the uh, big premiere here, Anna Perez, a Real America's Voice correspondent here on the set. Uh, Anna, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, look, all right, so you're in D.C. You're, you're following uh, what's going on on Real America's Voice. What, what do you got for us today? Well, some news just came out that uh, Governor Northam actually just signed some legislation that would allow illegal immigrants to actually get student financial aid for school, mm -hmm. for college. So obviously that's pretty controversial. Mm -hmm. We actually asked that question on Miranda Com's show um, and we got a few interesting responses. So I thought I would share them um, for yeah. one. So the question we asked is, should illegal Im immigrants be eligible for student financial aid? The governor of Virginia obviously mm -hmm. thinks so. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the responses we received were, in Virginia, absolutely not. Northern Virginia politics has destroyed the rest of Virginia because of the Beltway influence. And it is absolutely absurd. If we keep giving handouts to illegals, then that will be an incentive for them to keep coming over. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that pretty much sums up that situation. Uh, and Northam, I mean, look, I mean, this, this is political correctness. I mean, here, here we go again. I mean, yeah. but, but liberals think they, they can make some hay on this. But you guys at Real America's Voice are covering all of this. Right, and I think the first person brought up a really good point that this is, you know, Northern Virginia politics is mm -hmm. destroying the rest of Virginia. These are, you know, essentially, as you know, Northern Virginia is an extension of D.C. politics, which right. is very liberal. So, you know, you have the rest of Virginia, which is relatively conservative, I would say, based mm -hmm. off of what, you know, I know. And, you know, Northern Virginia itself, which is how, you know, Northern got elected, is mm -hmm. basically deciding these things for the rest of the state. You saw the same thing with COVID and all of the shutdowns. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see it here with illegal immigration. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is that whole uh, state of Virginia, which used to be, you know, well, was ruby red at one point, then it was red, then it was purple, now it's blue, uh, but but it's those Virginia suburbs that you're talking about, and right. uh, Northam gets all the support there. So uh, it, it's interesting to see what illegal immigration uh, will will do for Democrats. Uh, you know, they, they think it helps them. I guess with voting, maybe it'll help them, but, but they got a PR problem, too. Well, they do, and, you know, they... The reason why he did this, he released in a statement that this was supposed to help with inclusivity and diversity. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this isn't really helping him getting reelected in the state. I mean, it's not yeah. something that, you know, really resonates with the rest of the state. So you're right. It's a major PR problem. They think it's going to work for them. It's only backfiring, as we can see now with Biden at the border right now. 100%. So. Anna Perez, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank All you right. so much for having me. You bet. Uh, the debut of Anna Perez. She'll be back on the show. Uh, this show, The Water Cooler. By the way, we're moving at 3 p.m. Eastern starting tomorrow. Check us out on Pluto and everywhere else. See you tomorrow.